welcome to Swarthmore Presbyterian Church's podcast. This is your host, Alex Evangelista. We are delighted you are here, and don't forget to like, subscribe, and share our podcast. You are now listening to our meditation from our Christmas Eve Lessons and Carols by Reverend Joyce Shin. Would you please pray with me? Holy God, we have been in a mighty rush these days. Still us now from all our activity so that we might, in stillness, attune all of our senses to your amazing act of love for us, for the world, on a night so long ago. Amen. Christ has come. This most sacred of nights has arrived. I wonder if you are exhaling as I am, as one might, having just reached a longed-for destination, somewhat out of breath and ready now to be stilled. For many of us, Anticipation for Christmas began earlier this year than usual. It began far earlier than Advent. And while week by week our anticipation for Christmas kept building, a new rise in COVID cases caught up, both cresting too closely in time. The need to negotiate work deadlines, final exams, plans to travel, plans to host, with efforts to avoid any exposure to the virus and the accompanying need to quarantine, has understandably left us feeling spent. It takes a lot of energy, emotional, mental, physical, and spiritual, to negotiate different tempos, timelines, terms, and temporalities. In his book, The Culture of Time and Space, Stephen Kearns studies the history of how people have experienced time, both individually and collectively. He differentiates between public time and private time. Private time is heterogeneous, It can vary from person to person, according to personality and personal circumstances. Public time is standardized and thus uniform. It enables groups of people to be coordinated. You can imagine the kinds of coordination enabled by a shared sense of time, military, governmental, economic, and so on. Interestingly, Despite the push for a standardization of time coming from science and the military government, it was the railroad companies that succeeded to institute it first. And what a difference it made. Not long before time was standardized in the late 19th century, if a traveler from Washington to San Francisco were to set his watch in every town he passed through, he would have said it over 200 times. We have all likely felt 
a push and a pull between different temporal sensibilities, between private time and public time. Public and private time do not always match up. And public time has a way of imposing itself upon the uniqueness of private time. I imagine Mary and Joseph were feeling the strain of negotiating different temporalities. After all, Mary was nearing the term of her pregnancy. Any day she would give birth. And yet, along with the rest of the Roman Empire, Mary and Joseph were required by law to register themselves for the census. To do so, they had to travel to Joseph's hometown of Bethlehem. The public pressure of having to register for the census must have been great, for I imagine Mary and Joseph would rather have stayed home in Nazareth to give birth to Jesus. Jesus was born, Luke tells us, during a time known as the Age of Augustus, propagandized as the glorious Age of Peace. When a great altar was erected to this peace, and when all the Greek cities of Asia Minor hailed Augustus as savior of the whole world and celebrated Augustus's birthday as marking the beginning of the good news for the world. In contrast, Luke's account of Jesus's birth is simple and modest. There are no altars erected or imperial schemes or propaganda to make sure the world knows about it. And yet, as lowly and inconspicuous as Jesus's birth was, we know that it was not intended to be a private affair. Jesus's birth was to have universal import and cosmic reach. According to Luke, the first people to encounter the news of Jesus' birth were shepherds, living in such remote regions of the empire that they didn't even consider the emperor's edict to be registered in the census as applying to them. At a time when the empire was expending its resources to extend its reach, trying to get everyone on its terms to work for its ends, the shepherds learned of Jesus' birth not by decree or royal announcement, but by the appearance of a heavenly host. Luke tells us that a host of angels appeared and proclaimed, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is the Messiah, the Lord. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace among those whom he favors. I wonder what it was like to look up into the sky and see such an amazing sight. Would the sight have been so overwhelmingly bright and the chorus so loud that it would have crowded all else out and there would have been no way of missing it? Or would it have been less noticeable except to the shepherds who experienced as they were having spent so many nights keeping watch 
would have noticed even the slightest change in celestial phenomenon. Even without a heavenly host of angels singing, all things celestial have a way of inducing awe and amazement. In her book, Wintering, Catherine May writes about a trip she took to the Arctic North to see the northern lights, the Aurora Borealis. It was Christmas time, and she wanted to experience as closely as she could the awe and amazement that she imagined the shepherds felt on that Christmas Eve so long ago. The otherworldly aurora that she encountered, however, was not what she expected. She writes, On the first evening, we boarded a fishing boat that sailed out of Tromso Harbor. We had barely finished our meal when we were called onto the deck because the skipper thought he'd seen something. And as we watched, a wisp of greenish smoke appeared overhead, almost close enough to touch. Untutored, I would have assumed it was a stray emission from one of the surrounding boats. But this apparently was the aurora, pale, evanescent, but tangible in a way that I hadn't expected. It wasn't an image flashed across the sky. It was an object in three dimensions drifting slowly above our boat. At that moment, Catherine May realized that the photographs and videos of the aurora that she had poured over prior to this trip were invariably sped up and enhanced by long exposures. In real life, she found that they move slowly, like drifting clouds. Seeing them is an uncertain experience that she likened to the act of faith. She writes, you have to get your eye in. And I honestly don't think I would ever have spotted them at all had I not been told they were there. You see, Catherine May found that the aurora borealis was not as showy as she had expected. There was nothing obvious or demanding about them. In fact, she writes, they hide from you at first, and then they whisper to you. We would squint into the sky and say, is that them there, do you think, over there? Yes, yes, maybe, I don't know. But then, eventually, at a pace set entirely by the firmament, we were given the gift of seeing them as if in reward for our faith and patience. Then we seemed to see them everywhere. At the end of her trip, Catherine May ducked into a hotel lobby where she had left her mittens, and there she spotted the faint glow of the aurora above the harbor as though it had been there all along, waiting for her to learn to see. I can see why she likened the experience of learning to see the northern lights to the experience of faith. Sometimes you have to have someone point out what divine action in the world looks like what love incarnate looks like.
especially because it isn't showy, obvious, or demanding. Even the most amazing act of God can be quite inconspicuous. Luke takes care to distinguish Christ's birth from the propaganda of Augustus's birthday and reign. Jesus's birth was plain, lowly, and hidden from the world's view. If the angels hadn't told the shepherds and the shepherds hadn't told us what to look for, we might not have noticed anything. But once we look in that manger and see Jesus there, we may start to see God's love incarnate elsewhere too, perhaps everywhere. Christmas has come. Regardless of our efforts to negotiate private time and public time and pandemic time, Christmas comes at God's appointed time. There is a word in the New Testament that conveys this sense of time. It is kairos. Kairos is the time when God acts. At Christmas, God acts. And everything is changed. Everywhere, God's love is incarnate. From now on, it's up to us to see it. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this meditation from our Christmas Eve Lessons and Carols by Reverend Joyce Shin. We'll see you soon and may the peace of Christ be with you.